I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. I can say with certainty that had I not read Gary Zukav's book, The Seat of the Soul, there would be no Super Soul Sunday. There would be no OWN TV, and The Oprah Winfrey Show would probably not have been on the air for 25 years. It would have ended sooner. Anyone who knows me knows the principle of intention that I learned from Gary changed the way I approach everything. In fact, I talk about the importance of intention so much that people often recite my own words back to me. Just hearing intention rules every outcome makes me want to stand up and cheer. The lesson I learned from my conversations with Gary may sound simple, but it is the universal truth behind all relationships. The energy we put out in the world is the energy we get back. So if you want more love in your life, set your intention to be more loving. If you seek kindness, focus your energy on empathy and compassion. Conversely, if you wonder why there's so many angry people in your life, look no further than the resentment you hold in your own heart. Anyone who's on the path of a spiritual awakening needs to know that it's sometimes difficult. It's challenging when you declare, I want to grow. I want to be better than I've known myself to be. But I don't see the opportunity to craft our own lives as a burden. I see it as one of the gifts of being alive. For so many years, I suffered from what I call a disease to please, I worried that if I ever said no to something, people were going to think I wasn't nice or they might think I was selfish and ask, why wouldn't you do that for me? The power of intention cured me of that. I stopped listening to that little voice in my head that was trying to convince me of what other people thought. I made the shift to listen to the truth of who I really was, telling me what I really wanted. This shift can happen for you, too. Before you agree to do anything that might add even the smallest amount of stress to your life, ask yourself, what is my truest intention? What's the real reason I'm doing this? Give yourself time to let the answer resound within you. When the intention is right and the answer is yes, I guarantee your entire body will feel it. Up first, Gary Zukov. Now, you know the most exciting chapter to me in See the Soul? What's that? It is the principle by which I rule my company and the principle by which I rule every action in my life. And that is intention! Yes, yes. (laughs) Intention. That's at the heart of it. That's at the heart of creating authentic power. Yes. Intention. To the point where, and now people make jokes about it. I mean, everybody, I've said it so often. You know, when I first learned about intention from you, 
And this is what everybody needs to know who's on the path of spiritually opening yourself up, awakening, is that it's difficult. It's challenging when you say, I want to grow. I want to be better than I have known myself to be. So I used to have the disease to please and intention cured me. An intention is a quality of consciousness that you bring to a deed or words. It's an energy. So it's a quality of, of consciousness. Got it. It's your reason for it's speaking. Reason. So the real motivation is the one that creates consequences. For example, when someone says, I want a bigger home, it could be because I want to impress the neighbors, or it could be because we've adopted four children and I want to give them more space. Mm -hmm. So it's the why beneath the why. Mm -hmm. The why beneath, beneath the why. The why. You, you might say that the first intention, like uh, I want to get another job so that I can have more money, this could be called an out-tension mm -hmm. because it's really what you want to do to change things in the world. But your intention is the bedrock bottom. This is it, real intention. I want to support my wife. She needs some support now. I want to send my children to college. I want to have room for my newly adopted children. Now, and what you're saying here is that the consciousness or energy behind the motivation is going to determine the effect that occurs. Precisely. Precisely. So powerful and profound. And now, Joel Osteen. I heard a sermon that you preached, probably 2012, on the power of I am. And that sermon literally changed how I spoke power into my own life. So I think I remember telling you this story. I was shooting the butler. I had heard that sermon. I was so exhausted. I was like trying. We'd been shooting and shooting and shooting. And I remembered hearing that sermon. Your voice came into my head that whatever follows I am will determine what your experience will be. Yeah. Yeah. And so I literally thought, okay, I'm gonna just try that because I was exhausted. <laughs> and I started saying, I am getting my second win. Yeah. I am going to feel so much better by midnight. I'm gonna wanna shoot all night. <laughs> I am. And I'm telling you, I started to feel differently. And I couldn't believe that it, that it happened so quickly. I know, it's an incredible principle. I don't think we realize that, you know, like you said, what follows that I am, we're inviting into our life. You say, I am, you know, tired. I am frustrated. I am lonely. I think you're inviting more of that in that. So the principle is to turn it around, invite what you want into your life. Okay, so this is it. Whatever follows I am will eventually find you. Yeah. Those are your exact words yeah. in the sermon. I think a lot of times we want to say how I feel. You know what, I am lonely, I am tired. And you know, I think there's a, there's a balance to it. And I don't think you're denying the facts. Otherwise, hey, well, I'm just hiding my head in the sand. It's not so much that. It's just not magnifying the negative. And like I talk about in the book that I am a masterpiece. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am strong. I am talented. I think that is speaking to the core of what God's put in each one of us, that He has equipped us, He's empowered us, we have what we need to fulfill our destiny, but I do think that we have to bring it out. And you can't bring it out being against yourself. Mm -hmm. and a lot of people, they may not say it out loud as much, but in their mind, it's, I am not that talented, and I'm not as smart as my sister, and just all the negative I ams. And I think that keeps us from our destiny. So we've heard that phrase, speaking truth to power. It feels like when you understand that whatever 
follows I am is going to eventually find you. That if you start speaking all the positive aspects of yourself, I am secure, I am valuable, I am approved, I am determined, I am generous, whatever that is for you, when you start allowing what you want to be your truth, even if it isn't at this moment, you begin to speak truth, the truth of I am, to the power of what can be. I just love that, don't you? Now let's listen to David Brooks. I love it in the book where you talk about we should rank our loves in highs and lows. Tell me what that does. That's a concept from this great theologian, Augustine. And he said, what is sin? Mm. And so when we use the word sin, now we only use the word in the context of fattening desserts. But in traditional morality, it's a sense that we have something broken. And I don't like the word sin when it's meant to suggest we're dark and depraved inside. But he had a beautiful formulation. He said, we sin when we have our loves out of order. And what he meant by that? Oh, this is good. Slow this down a little bit. That's good. (laughs) All right. We sin when we have our loves out of order. Yes. So we all love a lot of things. We love family. We love money. We love a little affection, status, truth. And we all know that some loves are higher. We know that our love of family is higher than our love of money, or our love of truth should be higher than our love of money. And if we're lying to get money, we're putting our loves out of order. And so sometimes we just, by some nature, we get them out of order. So for example, if a friend tells you a secret and you blab it at a dinner party, you're putting your love of popularity above your love of friendship. And we know that's wrong. That's the wrong order. And so it's useful just to sit down and say, what do I love? What are the things I really love? And in what order do I love them? Am I spending time, so I'm spending time on my highest love, or am I spending time on a lower love? Such a good lesson and reminder. Next is Brene Brown. What does it mean then to dare greatly? To me, it means the courage to be vulnerable. It means to show up and be seen, to ask for what you need, to talk about how you're feeling, to have the hard conversations. When we asked people, in the research, you know, what is vulnerability to you? Mm-hmm. That Most was... people think vulnerability is weakness. Right. And you know what? After reading Darren Greatly, what I realized, first of all, is I live in the space of vulnerability. And that is what has made me so successful, is my vulnerability with the audience. For sure. And I think that vulnerability is sort of the cornerstone of confidence. I think it's the cornerstone because... I believe that. Because unless you can allow yourself to take the risk, to be open, to live as a wholehearted person, when you can do that, you recognize that you're really just like everybody else. And that gives you the confidence to be yourself, which is all you really need in life, is to be more of yourself. And I do believe, coming from vulnerability is weakness, when we asked people, what is vulnerability? And they said things to us like, the first date after my divorce, Mm. trying to get pregnant after my third miscarriage, sitting with my wife who has stage four breast cancer, making plans for our young children. You know, the biggest examples that came up from the research was picking up the phone and making a call to someone who's just had a great loss. Oh, yes. You know, and I thought about that in my own life. Like, you know, there's the phone. I walk up to it and I'm like, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? That's what everybody fears. It's going to make it say? better. Yeah. There's yeah, nothing yeah. I can say except I'm here. I'm hurting with you. You're mm-hmm. not alone. But you know what? I'll call in an hour. Mm-hmm. And then I come back an hour. I'm like, oh, man, it's dinner time. I'm going to make a casserole. I'm going to make an expensive casserole. We've all done that. Right. Yeah. And then what happens when an hour turns into a day, turns into a week, yeah. and then it's a month later, and you run into that friend at the grocery store? 
Well, you know what? And you didn't call. Just to show up. That's all people want. That's it's just it. To, if, it's for you to show up and say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here. I can't fix this, yeah. but I'll walk through the pain with you. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, but then what is the feeling that we get when we make the call and we hang up? To me, that feeling is when I'm aligned with my values. And courage is my value. Absolutely. And you can't get to courage without walking through vulnerability, period. Sue Monk Kid. I marched into the kitchen where my husband was getting our two toddlers to eat their cereal. And I made my big enunciation, I'm going to be a writer. And I was getting in touch with that creative desire inside of me. And I began to understand that I was going home, I was going to write, because that had been an innate desire in me as a child. You find this little light in yourself, and then of course you lose it, and you have to refind it, and you lose it. I mean, that's part of finding yeah. our place of belonging. Yeah. But I walked in. And, and for you, it was writing? It was writing, of course. And when I made this announcement in the kitchen, you know, my husband said, oh, that's that's great, and continued to, to, get, them the to children, their, yeah. get them yeah. to eat their cereal. And that was it. So I didn't know anything about writing. I called it so my great So you hadn't absurdity. been writing all along? You hadn't been writing little things? No, I kept a journal from time to time. That was something I had done as a child. When I was a, a little girl, I used to write little stories mm -hmm. and newspapers and all kinds of things. But until I was 30, I really had not pursued it. I had walked away from it. Were you afraid to make that announcement? And did you think by making such an announcement, such a pronouncement, that that would then propel you into doing it, actually? I think it does help yeah. when we make that kind of statement. It's an enunciation to ourselves, to the powers that be, mm -hmm. to the divine. This is my intention. So I think it helps to say our intention out loud. And then the moment I said it, of course, I thought, what do I know about this? It is a great absurdity, but everybody needs a great absurdity, at least one of them, right? Devon Franklin. So one of the things that you say that really struck me is that if we look at our life as a movie and God as the director yes. of our movie, yes. then we use our faith to help propel us forward in trusting in the director, yes. correct? Yes, Okay. absolutely. Because what I realize is that sometimes we, in the most difficult times in our story, we begin to lose faith. Okay, listen, listen to what you yes. said. Okay. I love this part. The trouble is, is that when you are a character in a story, when you are immersed in it, you can't see how things will progress in the future, that you lack perspective. It's tough to lose the job you love, shrug and say, oh, well, God is obviously putting me in a position for something better to happen in a few weeks. That's normally not what we do. We go, no. oh, Lord. It's all what? over. All over. Why That's did right. this happen That's to me? Right. Okay? It becomes very easy to assume that things will always be the way they are today. Here's what I love. The truth is, you and I are in control of only two things. How we prepare, get this everybody, we're in control of only two things. How we prepare yeah. for what might happen and how we respond to what just happened. The moment when things actually do happen belongs to God. Amen. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. It's true. It's true because what happens is the moments when things happen in our life, we don't control. In a moment, life can change for the better or what in the moment may seem for the worse. Yeah. So our job is to prepare, to read. For only two things. That's right. Prepare for what might happen. That's right. 
and then how we respond That's to right. what has happened. Because so many times what keeps us in that valley of depression, that keeps us in that valley of frustration is our response to a moment and not recognizing that it is exactly that. It's a moment. It's one scene of your movie. Yeah. You know, what makes a great movie are scenes that are put together of great conflict. Okay. The key is remembering your story. Mm -hmm. The spiritual career journey parallels the steps involved in bringing a movie from the initial idea to theatrical release. Yes. You start with the kernel of an idea. A process known as development and production. Yes. You say in the book is that development begins when you have the first vision of what you can be, correct? Exactly. You can't write a movie unless you know what the movie's supposed to be about. That's what development is. Sometimes we get so frustrated in our lives, but we have to go back and say, wait a minute, do I understand what the big idea of my life is supposed to be? Oh. If my life is a story, then I have to know the point of my story. And sometimes what happens when we start developing a movie, the producers may have one vision of what the movie's supposed to be, and the studio has another right. version, and then the movie becomes nothing because there's not clarity of idea. So with our life, we have to have clarity of what we're supposed to do. What do we believe we're called to do in this life? And in that way, it gives our whole development process more shape. I am getting goosebumps right now. You know mm. why? Why? Because I know that the way that landed with me and the way I heard it, that anybody who's hearing you also can hear that, mm -hmm. can feel the kernel of, if you are not in control of the development of your life yeah. or aware yeah. that your life needs developing, and are just waking up every morning, going to a job, going through the motions, getting your paycheck, then you are really, it's, I always say, it's sort of like being the walking dead, yeah. that you're not in control, you're not helping to co-create right. your life with the right. ultimate creator. You have to define success, and I define success as peace. Me too. <laughs> you're my kind of guy. That's right. Amy Purdy. I was born a daydreamer. So I think daydreaming just turned into visualizing, Yeah. especially when I understood the power of it. Mm -hmm. In my worst moments, in my darkest moments, is when I've done my most visualizing. And even being here today with you was part of that vision. And when I lost my legs, one of the toughest periods was when I stood up in my legs for the first time because they were so painful and they were so confining that I thought, how am I ever going to live this life of my dreams? How am I ever going to travel the world? How am I ever going to snowboard again? And that day, this was the first day I'd stood up in my legs, I was so emotionally and physically broken that I crawled into bed and I didn't get out for a good 15 hours. I just laid in bed, completely exhausted, could not wrap my head around the fact that this is my life and I have to navigate my life with these like hunks of hardware as my legs that barely move, that are yeah. so uncomfortable. And I'm How? sure there's a part of you that you're anticipating, okay, I'm gonna get my new legs, yeah. I'm getting my oh. legs, my legs are coming. Yeah. yeah, and I thought these these are my legs that I'm living in the rest of my life. So emotionally, physically, mentally, just broken, drained. And it was times like those though, like times where I, I think I had just hit a point where I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I didn't allow myself to sit in that spot too long. I'm just not that type of person. I have to keep moving mm -hmm. somehow. So I hit this point where I realized my legs are not coming back. I mean, they're not coming back and there's nothing I can do about this situation right now. And it was that moment that kind of prompted me to ask myself this question. 
If my life was a book and I was the author, how would I want this story to go? And I thought, well, I don't want to see myself as this sad, disabled girl. I know that. I don't want other people to see me as that either. I thought, what do I want to see? I want to see myself walking again gracefully. And I wanted to see myself somehow sharing, somehow helping other people through this journey. And I saw myself snowboarding again. And I visualized it so strongly in that moment that I didn't just see myself carving down this mountain of powder. I could feel it. I could feel the wind against my face. I could feel the beat of my racing heart. I could feel my muscles twitching as if it was happening in that very moment. And I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew that I was going to do it. That's incredible. That's incredible. That is incredible. And now I try to live my life with that knowingness that if you can see it and you can feel it and you believe it, then it is completely possible. Diana Nyad. So I started thinking my mom died at 82. Does that mean really I have 22 years left and maybe those last two or three or four aren't going to be too vital? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But the clock is like choking me now. And it wasn't so much what did I want to do. It was who I want to be. Whoa. That's what it was. It's like that. I really don't have it in front of me, but there's a Henry David Thoreau quote that really grips me hard. And it says, when you achieve your goals in life, it's not what that gets you, but it's who I am. Right, mm -hmm. right. It's who I am. And I, and I needed at 60, I needed to say, forget about the ledger. Are you in the halls of fame? Did you make some kind of money? To, I don't care about that anymore. As you know, those things just, as you get older, That's who right. cares? That's right. It's, am I living the life that I can admire? Am I going to leave this earth maybe as you do? Leaving it a place where it's a little more just than it was and human rights have been fulfilled more than they have. Those are my values. And never giving up and finding a way through your obstacles and finding your grit and your will, those are what I value. And at 60, it wasn't about swimming. And this swim for me has never been about swimming. And I don't think to anybody out there it's about swimming. It's yeah. about those values. And I, you know what? I am that person, swimming or not. And I proved it to myself, and that's why I did this swim. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening.